Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need money. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me this week, Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Good to see you, gentlemen. Hey, How hey. you doing, Chris? We've got the latest headlines from Wall Street. Shopify CEO Toby Lukey is our guest. And as always, we've got some stocks on our radar, but we begin with the big macro. The jobs report for May showed a surprising increase of two and a half million jobs. This brings the unemployment rate down to 13.3%, Ron. We take the long view as investors. Unemployment is still nearly four times higher than it was a year ago, but this was still good to see. And evidence, uh, or at least indications, that PPP worked. PPP worked. The recovery has begun. Let's hope uh, we continue on that road and, and don't fall back a bit. But this is the biggest one-month gain in history, um, perhaps not surprising because we started from such a low base. So obviously, once things start to open up, things kind of get back pretty rapidly. Love to see where the jobs were created. Leisure and hospitality made up almost half of the gain, 1.2 million jobs in that sector. Bars and restaurants, again, these gig workers, as we call them, 1.4 million jobs um, in, in that sector. Construction was big. Labor participation rate um, ticked up a bit. Um, I think that's n- it's nice to see that. Sometimes we talk about the U6 unemployment uh, number, which is a more all-encompassing unemployment number that the government puts out. That actually fell as well, but still at 21.2%, because it includes discouraged workers that have kind of stopped working. It includes part-time workers that would like to be full-time. So that's o- over 21% still, but again, it was down. Um, and this is all within the backdrop of a stock market that has been anticipating this recovery. Um, We're down only about 1.5% on the S&P 500 for the year. I'll remind listeners that we were up 30% in 2019. So we're still unbelievably strong from a two-year perspective. The NASDAQ is actually up 9% this year. Jason, what stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, I guess the timing does seem maybe a little bit early. It was a little bit of a surprising report, I guess. But this generally was or is the idea, right? I mean, this was a self-implemented shutdown and something that was born of it, it was something that I mean, it wasn't born of an economy in trouble, right? It was it was born of a, of a sort of an external event here, the pandemic. I mean, I, it it does feel early. I mean, I, it feels like maybe the conditions on the ground are convey a bit of a different sentiment. Um, I mean, I think regardless of the numbers, I, I, the big question for me, I wonder if we're not headed towards a new normal, so to speak, where unemployment really does kind of hover in that 9 10% range for some time. Because you, you do have to wonder, with the jobs that do come back, you know, what do those wages look like? Because, I mean, I think while jobs are one part of the equation, certainly wages are another part. And I mean, I think it's reasonable to assume, too, that the cost of doing business for a lot of these companies, particularly retail operations, restaurants, the cost of doing business is going to go up. And if that cost of business goes up, along with the fact that their capacity for business comes down just based on limiting the traffic that can come into stores at any one at any given point in time, then you start having to kind of wonder beyond just the jobs numbers, how do these how do these jobs really, feel, right? I mean, what do those wages look like? And then that trickles into economic activity. And we know that really, I mean, our economy is, is two-thirds based on the American consumer. So, I mean, it's it's certainly good news. I don't, I don't want to belittle it, but 
Uh, We have have certainly a long way to go, too. A long way to go, and I I hope I'm wrong, but I feel that the stock market is is a bit ahead of itself. Um, At the end of 2019, with historic low unemployment and really strong earnings, we were at 23 times earnings, and that it was frothy um, then. Now, earnings are not going to be near where they were for quite some time. It's going to take a while to get back. Obviously, unemployment is still significantly higher. So, we've got to be well north of 23 times here, whatever the earnings will shake out to be, and nobody's giving guidance, so nobody really knows. But the market's got to be frothy here. I don't know if that means just a, a kind of a flat market going forward uh, or, or another correction coming. I got to think when a vaccine actually comes, the market's going to pop regardless. Um, but it does feel a little bit uh, stretched to me right here. Let's get to some company news. Shares of Zoom video communications hitting a new all-time high this week. First quarter results were really good, Jason, but they doubled their revenue guidance for the full fiscal year. <laughs> yeah, that was an... <laughs> <laughs> that was an attention getter. Um, that was the first thing that stood out to me, honestly, when I read through that re- release. And I mean, it really does go to show, I think, how large the market opportunity is for Zoom. And I mean, it's not just a Zoom world, right? But they definitely are capitalizing on this situation. I mean, they they did note that the pandemic has ultimately added a new variable to the mix where historical knowledge may no longer apply. So, I, I will say, let's take that full-year guidance at least with a grain of salt, because one thing they did note was a mix in the shift of their customer cohorts, where customers with 10 or fewer employees represented 30% of revenue in the first quarter, and that was up from 20% a quarter ago. And that matters because those are really monthly customers. They're not customers locking in for longer contracts. They have higher churn rates. And so, we could see this play out over the course of the year. That's why I was a little bit surprised to see them go so big in the first quarter of, of the year, right? I, I think I'd have probably played my cards a little bit closer to the vest, but the numbers don't lie, right? I mean, they, they had 769 customers contributing more than $100,000 in trailing 12-month revenue. That was up 90%. They have approximately 265,400 customers with more than 10 employees. That was up 354%. They even added one new banking customer there that deployed around 175,000 new Zoom enterprise licenses in the quarter. So, the bottom line is, people are using Zoom. I mean, that's no surprise. And I know a lot of investors are probably asking the question, okay, we know what they can do now. What's next? Really, it does sound like management is focused on this one thing. They're really focused on making sure they nail this experience. Clearly, there were some security issues. They're wrapping that up as well, trying to focus a little bit on the security. But I think for the foreseeable future, they're going to be working on making this video conferencing platform as robust, as secure, as, as, as lag-free as possible. Down the line, we can start talking about optionality and what they do with it from there. But I mean, clearly a business that's capitalizing on a big opportunity. Well, and they did talk a little bit about how they had R&D planned, and once they ran into those security issues, they basically took all of that money and said, we're not spending a dime on R&D, new features, any of that stuff. We're going to focus all of this on security for the next three months because we have to nail this. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly the right move, too, because, I mean, they've already knocked one of the big barriers out of the way in gaining this market share. And they're doing that in the face, honestly, of, of 
one of the behemoths out there in Microsoft and, and its new Teams offering. I mean, don't don't dismiss that. That is real and that is a competitive threat. People are using Teams, but again, it's a big market opportunity. It's not a winner take all game. So I think you know they've they've really built that house, so to speak, and now to to use an Under Armourism, it's time to protect that house. And they can protect that house by really making the investments in the security and the experience and keeping the customers that they have. Because once you keep those folks in, I do think there's a little bit of a switching cost that builds over time. In the simplicity of the platform, its ease of use, it's, it's, it's just really, it's, it's easy to use. And I think as time goes on, that becomes a bit of a switching cost that, uh, that will keep folks in that, in that ecosystem, so to speak. Well, for the sake of shareholders, I hope they protect their house better than Under Armour <laughs> has protected its house. Yeah. Uh, shares of Slack down 15% on Friday. Slack's first quarter revenue came in higher than expected, Ron. Their loss was smaller than expected. Why the drop? Yeah, in a vacuum, this was an absolutely fine quarter. And I will, I will remind listeners that even with this big drop, the stock is up 40%. Year to date, so maybe ripe for a little bit of pullback, and and let's take the quarter first, and then we'll discuss why the stock perhaps is trading off. Um, again, really strong revenue up fifty percent, billings up thirty eight percent, twelve thousand net new paid customers. Now they have over one hundred twenty two thousand. Uh, 132% net dollar retention rate. So not only are people renewing, but they're renewing at higher dollar, at higher prices. Um, and so you see over 100% dollar retention rate. Great thing to see. Margins widened. Now, still not profitable, but getting closer. Uh, adjusted operating loss, $16 million. Not too bad. They actually were operating cash flow positive at around $9 million. So not burning cash on an operating operating basis. Now, the stock is selling off because management withdrew its annual billings forecast. And that's the number people really focus on. Earlier projections had them as high as perhaps a billion dollars, and now they're withdrawing that forecast. CEO Stuart Butterfield said, the second half of the year is just too complex. We've got a generational shift in how people work. It's hard to see too far out. He cited that there are tailwinds. He said there are some headwinds. It's a funny thing to say in one sentence. Um, so there's pros and cons. There's a lot of stuff happening. Revenue guidance was also light. Investors didn't like to see that. I think, um, to Jason's point, this is clearly an admission that Microsoft Teams is a formidable competitor, and it's going to kind of remain to be seen how this shakes out. Uh, Slack did just announce an interesting and probably fruitful partnership with Amazon, um, where they will make Slack available to all their employees. So that, that's a pretty big deal as well. Uh, so, listen, the stock got ahead of itself, still up 40% year to date, and we'll see how the rest of the year plays out from a competitive standpoint. First quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected for DocuSign, and shares hit a new all time high this week. Jason, DocuSign's a $25 billion company. It still feels like they have a lot of room to run. Yeah, I mean, we say they're in the business of e-signatures, but really, it seems like they're in the business of just smashing their own expectations because they just do it quarter in and quarter out. Um, encouraging words from the CEO, Dan Springer, on the call. He said, it's clear the ways of doing business are changing. Remote work is here to stay. Core business processes will only become more digital, and agreements will need to be completed from anywhere at any time on almost any device. And, and DocuSign's numbers certainly reflect that trend. Billings of $342 million grew 59% revenue. Uh, close to $300 million was up 
39%. Again, they smashed their expectations there. It's a 95% subscription revenue business, which we just love to see. Uh, total customers up 30%, commercial customers up 49%. We're starting to see some leverage flow through the business model as well as they get that customer base, uh, as they keep that customer base growing. And, and so, I, I think that really the future is pretty plain to see for this company. The trend is there. And, and again, you talk about businesses capitalizing on big opportunities. DocuSign is another one. And I tell you, as a shareholder myself, Chris, I'm extremely happy I'm owning this one. Don't take this personally, but one clothing retailer says you may have put on a few pounds. Details after the break, so stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Shares of Dick's Sporting Goods up a bit this week, despite the fact first quarter results were about as bad as you would expect given all of the store closures Ron. but you know they're opening those back up and in the meantime e-commerce was pretty strong yeah you nailed it i mean you can't you can't expect much when all your stores are closed obviously sales were down 30 percent uh for the quarter and same store sales tracking the same 29 and a half percent uh, they had been tracking at a positive 7.9% before before the pandemic hit, which is a pretty strong number. So if that's any indication of how things one day may be again, um, that's a good number to, to look at. Uh, the store closures began on March 18th. Um, as you noted, e-commerce, including curbside pickup, very strong, up 110%. Um, you've got to see that, obviously, when, when that's your only avenue to get to the customer. And, and Dick's um, definitely... Um, performed there. Uh, the stores are beginning to reopen, 80% open as of May 30th. Same store sales for the first week of the second quarter down only 4%, still down, but making their way back. Balance sheet is solid, $1.5 billion in cash. They're not in any trouble there. Suspended share repurchases and dividends for the time being, and obviously didn't provide any guidance. Shares of eBay getting a boost this week after the company raised guidance for its second quarter. Jason, I feel like eBay gets made fun of now and then, and it's uh, sometimes it is warranted because sometimes they do things that don't appear to make sense. But the stock hit an all-time high this week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I, they probably get made fun of more than just occasionally. I mean, they they do seem to step in it of themselves often enough though to warrant that. I, I think you know this kind of falls into that statement we heard from Dan Springer with DocuSign earlier, just in regard to the digital economy. And I think that what this pandemic did. You know, Amazon did a phenomenal job early on staking their claim in the e-commerce market, but it could be argued here that the, that the recent demand has certainly marginalized their service a little bit. They're not the only game in town anymore, and, and we're seeing other e-commerce companies step up to the plate here and, and, uh, and try new things. And so, I think with eBay, some marketing investments are definitely paying off there. Uh, can we make the leap to where you know this is maybe uh, you know an eBay worthy of our investment dollars? I don't know that I would necessarily go that far yet, but I mean this is encouraging news, and I think you know what we'll want to keep an eye on really for them, uh, it's the gross merchandise volume number. That's going to give us an idea of how much money is flowing through that network. It's it's been on the decline recently. They haven't really been growing, but maybe this is a turning point uh, for better days ahead. Retailers are starting to open up uh, across America. Levi Strauss, the iconic blue jeans company, has opened more than a third of its locations, and they're noticing a new trend. Everybody has a new size. That's an <laughs> actual quote from Mark Rosen, the president of Levi's America's division. Uh, what do we think? The combination of everyone being locked in their house with snacks and, and doing a lot more baking is, is contributing to 
we, he, Ron, he's not saying everyone's coming in for a smaller size. Yeah, no, that, I think that's a fair comment. I, for one, I'm, I'm exercising more, but I'm clearly eating carbohydrates and bread products and frozen pizza, um, as I've mentioned several times on this show, more, more than typical. Um, so, gosh, I'm not getting into a store anytime soon. I don't even want to know. Although in a weird way, Jason, I mean, if you're Levi's, that's kind of what you want, right? You want people changing sizes so they buy more of your jeans. Hey, it's repeat visits, right? I mean, they probably need to send PepsiCo a thank you letter after making Cheetos available to the masses at free shipping, right? I mean, that snacks.com is working out pretty well for them. Let's get to the stocks on our radar. Our man, Dan Boyd, is going to hit you with a question. Ron, you're up first. What are you looking at this week? I'm going to go back to Target TGT. Retail shakeout is unfortunately coming. There will be less retailers. Folks like Target, Walmart, Amazon are positioned to survive, um, not only survive, but thrive, I think. Um, they've got everything you need, apparel, groceries, all the household items and electronics you need. Their investment in e-commerce and same-day same pickup um, has really paid off, up huge um, during the pandemic. They've increased their dividend for 48 consecutive years, over 2% yield at this point. Um, they're still off from their highs, so it's a fine entry point, trading around 20 times versus Walmart 25 times. I think it's a great stock to own. Dan, question about Target? Is there really only one thing I ever buy from Target, and it's <laughs> undershirts? So, Ron, what was the last thing you bought from Target? Uh, definitely uh, protein bars. Um, they've got a nice wide selection of protein bars. I encourage you to check it out. Okay. <laughs> they also have some good frozen pizza. Okay, done. Jason Moser, what are you looking at? Uh, yeah, I've been digging more into FLIR systems lately. Ticker is F-L-I-R. FLIR builds the cameras, sensors, and additional technology to help us see infrared energy, or heat, as we also know it. Uh, the name actually comes from forward-looking infrared, but they have all sorts of different applications for this technology, from defense to consumer. Uh, their sensors used in immersive technology applications like Microsoft's HoloLens 2. Uh, when you hear about places installing cameras and sensors to detect elevated body temps in this uh, pandemic time, I mean, that's oftentimes FLIR technology being uh, implemented right there. And they're even being used in the development of self-driving cars where LIDAR, measuring distance with laser capabilities, can fall a little bit short. So a lot of different ways this technology can be used, and FLIR uh, is the company that really leads the way uh, in this technology. Dan, question about FLIR? Jason, do you remember the 1990 film Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers? Do I? Is that what we're talking about, that kind of infrared vision technology? I think that's that's a great that's a great way to look at it. I mean, yeah, when you're looking at something through your through your phone or whatever, you're looking through a heat sensor like that. You're going to see different colors that that tell you how much heat that object is emitting. That's exactly it. Dan, what do you want to add to your watch list? Well, I am firmly anti-predator in this case, <laughs> so I'm going to go with Target. Actually, sweet, nice. All right, Ryan Gross, Jason Moza, thanks for being here, guys. Thank, Thank you, you, Chris. Up next, the conversation with Shopify CEO Toby Lutke. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Earlier this week, we held our annual FoolFest Investing Conference for Motley Fool members. One of the highlights was a conversation between Motley Fool CEO Tom Gardner and Toby Ludkick, the CEO of Shopify. 
The stock has risen 350% over the past two years, but the conversation focused more on how Shopify's business is changing during the pandemic. Tom Gardner kicked things off by getting Toby Lutke's thoughts on recent events. Uh, here in the, in the U.S., the death of uh, George Floyd, uh, 46-year-old, is, is another uh, in, a, in, a, in a list of crimes against African Americans. And we now have police officers, in some cases, marching in solidarity and, and, and kneeling uh, as well. And what, what do you think business needs to do to play a role in social issues like equality and racial justice and peace? And I'm just out here on your Twitter account referring to some of the comments that you're making about the commitment that you see Shopify to being able to play, for example, in the lives of black entrepreneurs and and we stand with the black community who are our teachers now. So um, what, what role do you think a company like Shopify and other companies need to play in, in issues like this? Yeah, to, to me, um, uh, companies are just another form of a community. And um, like all of us are, end up being impoverished uh, if, 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 if any communities are, are suffering. And um, my belief is that uh, the most important thing you can do is really understand it. My, I have a very firm belief that um, um, if you would just all understand each other's stories better, um, we, we, there would be just a lot, like this would be a very, very different planet. So um, I, I think it's, it's incredibly important for companies to like, give space to uh, the people who have a vision, who, who have the insight and who have the experience to become the teachers. And, and, and assume a student role, um, and um, then then there's concrete things that can be done to be to be as supportive as possible. Um, all mm. of us spend a lot of our time with, uh, in in working for the companies. We are, we are working for like we 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 are on independent journeys, doing difficult things, often surrounded by 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 uh, good friends, and um, it's amazing the power that comes from that. The, like I think every good company ends up being um, able to change the world in some small way, usually just through the availability of some product, uh, but but which usually derives from some kind of insight or, mi or mission. So those are exactly the groups of people that that, that can enact change. And and uh, so it's in, 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 in times like this specifically, when there's um, everyone's pointing at here's a, here's a direction in which when we make these changes and we go into this direction, we'll all end up in a better common shared um, place and experience. Uh, companies need to support that because they are adapt at changing. I want to do another screen share here. And this time, uh, just hear the role that Siobhan Hasfel McIntosh plays at your company, um, leading diversity and belonging, and what that means to you all internally at your culture and across your stakeholders. Yeah, Siobhan, I mean, when, when, when you think of um, being on a journey, doing difficult things around by friends, Siobhan comes to mind immediately. It's, it's, um, I sometimes talk about this, uh, about the role of uh, the country you grow up in. Like, I, I, I do think companies are much more like infants, uh, especially when they are uh, created and then they go through for different stages of, 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 of their lifespan. Uh, Shopify certainly went through its, format in, uh, through its formative years um, immersed in Canadian values and cultures, uh, which, which, which is a um, places extreme 
like a lot of value um, deriving power from multiculturalism and from uh, like diversity as a strength. And and it, like this is just it became this is kind of a uh, we've had. I think an unfair advantage in that that our environment imbued this in us, and it, it didn't end up being something we had to become, sort of like, understand later. This has been a big part of uh, I think the success of uh, Shopify, and so we we always had a very very strong sense of um, people joined us from all over the world to begin with, and and helping them feel like they belong to the company is is was always a really really extreme important thing to us and 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 amazing people like Siobhan and uh, you know David and Conrad before that and so on uh, have been the keys to making this a welcome place and, and and now can tell us like here in these specific times here's what we can now do um, to uh, just make the most out of uh, pedestals we have of our um, you know our, uh, sorry of our uh, uh, the word I meant to use is um, use our uh, abilities to broadcast, use our abilities to address the um, community you have, social media internally. Let's have let's 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 have the hard conversations that are hopefully and, and that, that will, will help us uh, change for better. I want to now talk about COVID nineteen, and from a cultural standpoint, first. Um, you all acted swiftly to send your employees home. You gave them a $1,000 stipend to upgrade their home office. And you said you believe office centricity is over and that the majority of your employees will work from home in the future and that offices will merely be an on-ramp uh, to remote work and digital by default, digital by design. How specific do you think this view is to Shopify and how much do you think it reflects uh, well, your vision and what you think is going to happen for office jobs in in any category. Yeah, I, it's hard for me to spend uh, talking generalities because my, my my understanding of other companies is just kind of not that good. I I, I, I I've really only worked for Shopify <laughs> my my entire life. Um, so so what what I can say with great authority is that it this is a um, it's it's a valid move for Shopify. And maybe maybe just zooming out one moment. I I do think there's three ways to organize yourself as a company. There is um, get everyone in the same place, which is um, probably the best way to do it. Um, uh, there is unbelievable advantages of proximity. Uh, there's in, in, there's an incredible amount of systems you will not have to build just because the proximity alone is 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 a policy and a system that that replaces a lot of complexity. Hmm. Then there is. Uh, Companies where part of people are uh, in, in 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 location and part of people are in another location or part of the people are remote. Um, those are the hybrid companies. And then lastly, there's the companies where everyone sort of shares a similar experience. Um, you know, in a Zoom call, for instance, like we are just in, and everyone is in their own square. There's no two people in the same uh, same tile, and uh, people work together mostly through asynchronous means, like and if you're a developer, you work uh, through GitHub issues and, and, and pull requests. Uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're a designer, you work on maybe some shared uh, tool like Figma and then you, you're in Slack and so on. So mm. a lot of the hardware conversations are replaced with um, observable written or recordable uh, video uh, things, which which can get you sort of back to um, uh, some percentage of where what, where things are like when you're all in the same office. Hmm. I think the hybrid model is the worst, and I think this is where my uh, conviction about digital by default comes from. Hybrid is 
um, at best, you, you, you reasonably involve other people uh, who are um, remote. Um, usually there's a lot of meetings that no one thinks about it, but the people who are remote are not being invited to because someone just turned around and talked to someone else in a pod, right? Um, so it becomes a really, really challenging environment. Um, so our decision was, we knew that there was no way to go back to all being in one location. Um, so the, the, the choice really was between hybrid and, 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 and remote by default. And so we, ch we chose remote by default. Um, the, all the important work happens through uh, the, like the, the, the substrate of tools to work uh, remotely together, even at a world-class level, has gotten just good enough to pull it off. It, 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 this is the worst version of working from home that we'll ever experience, like, a, like especially for parents with young, young children, this is very, very, very difficult um, time. Um, and uh, we, we will get better tools, we'll get better uh, social constructs, we, we will we'll figure out how to uh, make this all work better. So we, we decided like this is time that the office space that we have should really be in support of this form of function rather than becoming the centricity where everyone goes back and just falls on uh, previous patterns in the past. Coming up, more with Shopify CEO Toby Lukey. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Let's get back to Tom Gardner's conversation with Shopify CEO Toby Lutke. Just for our members that actually, and so many of them are shareholders of Shopify and are very thankful for that, but just for anyone who isn't, can you, can you let us know what Shopify is now and particularly maybe what's different about it now than it was a year ago or two years ago? Yeah, so basically Shopify tries to be the, 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 the best possible piece of software that you could add to your business if, 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 if you are a retail business. Um, trying to solve ideally every problem that you might encounter along the way that can be solved in digital means in such a way that you can focus completely on your relationship with your customers and your products um, and uh, be successful this way. Um, the are best known for the online store, which is, of course, a part of what you get from, from Shopify and by far the most popular uh, sales channel. But increasingly, um, people use us for their point of sale, uh, for our point of sale software um, uh, to, to, to sell through social channels like Instagram, Facebook, uh, Google Shopping, um, and in any, any other way. We've, we've, we've committed ourselves to helping with logistics as well for, for a bit more than 100 customers. We are, we, are, we are doing the fulfillment now. We are, this is something we are building out. It's going to take us a while, but it's, um, it's, it's a stated um, uh, goal. And um, like there's, there's a lot of other things that we're doing as well. We have the payments, we, we, we can have the capital, we um, uh, 
uh, will in the future provide you with a charge card, which you can use to, uh, to, to run your business and uh, so on and so on. Um, trying, to, trying to make it so that the process of starting a new business specifically or building up a small business in this sort of digital first world is um, more generally approachable and, and more evenly distributed as a capability. And, and over the last just eight or 10 weeks, a lot of new customers, new, new merchants coming online at a, at a dramatic pace. Also, a lot of struggles and challenges by existing merchants to make their way through. Um, let's start with that second group first. How are you helping merchants that are struggling? Um, that's really one of, or obviously a core stakeholder for you is 100% support for your merchants. So um, how, are you, how are you helping them out in times like this? Yeah, so um, we, we, we set ourselves, like on day one of this pandemic, we, we, we said um, what, what, what we have here with Shopify is valuable. It's going to be needed during uh, times of crisis. And we want more merchants and small businesses to survive this uh, uh, crisis because we exist and otherwise would. Um, so we have been extremely mission aligned and focused uh, to, to get to take all the bits and pieces of our roadmap that we were hoping to launch in the next for the next years, and 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 pull them forward in time uh, if they were helpful right now, and 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 also stopping to work on some things that 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 wouldn't be immediately helpful. Um, so so what uh, what what we've done is, for instance, we've, we've significantly improved the process of uh, curbside pickup, which is something that of course wasn't a big factor in 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 the world of retail before. Like we, we, in our analysis, um, e-commerce orders for products that happen to reside within 25 kilometers of where, where you want them delivered to, they're, they're very, very small fact, uh, part of our platform before. But uh, with, with the uh, rise of COVID and shelter in place and these things, this became a very, very, very large part. Um, so, so this is really what we've, what we've seen, um, sort of a rapid acceleration of digitalization of, of a lot of local businesses is, is, is one of the main effects. Um, right at the beginning of a crisis, uh, retail fair, uh, sales really fell off a cliff. We saw 70% contraction in, 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 in person purchases. Um, over the uh, course of the next uh, then uh, six, seven, eight weeks, we saw a lot of this replaced um, to, the, to, to the tune of 94% of, of, of our sales ended up being replaced through, through, through digital channels. And uh, that's um, good news uh, in general for, for these local business because a lot of the spending power went, 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 went locally. Um, in fact, we have heard, and this is clearly anecdotal and not, not by rule, but we did hear about some of those business actually doing better than before. Um, mm. In fact, um, uh, we, we talked to some business which, which end up having currently more staff than they had at any other time uh, uh, in, 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 in their history, um, which is remarkable. But of course, there's uh, plenty of uh, counter stories to, 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 to this. Um, but it, it goes to show that um, entrepreneurs are adaptable. Um, the people who are running the local businesses are the most adaptable uh, group of people. And, and times of crisis really is the times when adaptability becomes the premium uh, skill. And, 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 and we, 
we hope we were able to help as many of uh, them as, as 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 we could. We, I mean, we did a lot of uh, like it's it's a, it's a long list of things that we ended up doing because it just there's so many sub industries. But even just keeping credit available to businesses ended up being mm. a huge, huge, huge. Uh, factor. Can you give an example of a new Shopify Plus customer that came online very rapidly and what that uh, process was like? Yeah, so one uh, one thing on the plus side we, we we've seen is and and, and we've we've pointed sort of to we pointed to Heinz Ketchup before, uh, especially specifically the UK side of it, which um, uh, you know that's a 151 year old company which had no uh, I I don't think had in their particular investment plan for 2020 to go direct to consumer. Um, but uh, one thing we've been seeing, in the, even in the largest businesses, is that, uh, and I, I think everyone sort of intuitively understands this, um, there, there have been elements in, of all, in, in every large company, in every large organization in the world, where certain people have argued for much more rapid adoption of internet uh, commerce and, um, you know, digital things. And, and the, the, the problem with these arguments was always that these would involve significant amount of change, which is difficult. And, and, and um, also because like, it was hard for them to argue that things would be massively better afterwards because everything else was already built, right? Like, so there was um, Heinz Ketchup kind of worked. But then as the crisis happened, like I think what everyone sort of experienced was saying, oh, if you would have just listened to those people, <laughs> like those uh, to, to, to Mala, who was arguing for, 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 go, for going direct, um, we would be in so much better shape. And then people go back to Mala and say, well, you know, those ideas you've had, like how long would this take in the a, in a, in a, in a most accelerated scenario? And so what we've seen is that the most entrepreneurial elements of even the most traditional companies just got fully enabled, everyone out of the way, let's fall in behind Mala, let's get this done. And, and, and in, in a way, like Shopify, like, it's like we trained for this day, right? Like we, we, we've built software that um, entrepreneurs can use to build an entire business during a lunch break, right? That's, like, those are environments in which like for, for, for the world of enterprise software, those are not the, um, the kind of requirements placed upon software in terms of how quickly you can get it off the ground. Like, in fact, usually that's, that's a six month implementation process, which doesn't matter because your sales process is also six months. And so it sort of all rounds to kind of the same thing, right? <laughs> so, um, but Shopify has been fortunate the fires of lunch break entrepreneurism. And, and so once you enable people, they can actually bring Heinz Ketchup online seven days from first initial contact, uh, selling direct, doing well, and um, that story is, of course, then told throughout all the consumer packaged good companies and, 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 and is activating more and more people. And, and again, the people who've been fighting for digitalization and modernization uh, uh, being enabled now. And, and, and I think um, it's an incredible uh, change agent, like, like from a pure digital transformation perspective. I, I think COVID has already done more than the entirety of all CIOs that, that have been appointed to their jobs in the last decade. So, uh, I, I, so it's an interesting time from that perspective. That's going to do it for this week's Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Dan Boyd. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.